Hey, this is Gary. This is Mike. And Daniel. We're not professionals. We're just three addicts sharing our experiences, strength, and hope regarding recovery. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other addicts and to practice these principles in our lives. Welcome to another episode of the 12th Step Podcast. This is Mike. And this is Daniel. Thrilled to be here tonight again with Chad and Amber. We've had a couple of episodes about getting to know them, first of all, and then also getting to know a little bit about uh, Chad's Chad's uh, experience uh, with, through therapy and, and through SAA group and everything else as far as his addiction goes, and then also listen to Amber share some of her thoughts and feelings about what that's been like. I want to I wanna address a couple of topics tonight. Uh, one, uh, Amber, I think this is going to spend an awful lot of time with you. Um, this was a concept that came up, uh, uh, I remember very early on, and something that our, our common counselor had challenged me to ask my wife, and I spent some time with that, and I think it, uh, it was really helpful to hear her tell me what the word safe meant. Uh, so oftentimes I hear wives talk about uh, how things that we're doing as addiction or as addicts are making them feel unsafe. So I want to talk about then what does what does safe actually look like. So if you could give us some ideas from uh, from a spouse's perspective, what those things mean to you, <clears throat> that would be helpful. So safety is something that I think I am starting to identify in our relationship. Um, so much of our relationship has been, not to use a metaphor here, but I'm going to, has been me being blindfolded on train tracks and I can hear the train but I don't know where it's coming from Sure. and I don't know where it's going to hit me and I think safety for me is um, just knowing that if I need Chad that he will be there for me there's so many experiences in our past whether it be with his ex-wife or through the addiction um, where I I've been put on the back burner. I, I, my needs haven't, haven't been at the forefront. Um, and I think as a partner, you really, I, I think being the wife of, of an addict or just a partner of anybody, I think you really want somebody to look at you and see what you don't see. You want to be able to lean on somebody and they will help call out what, what your blind spots are. And I don't know that we've really had that in our relationship. I think we're, we're working towards that, but I think it's still a work in progress. Um, for me, you know, our relationship, I've kind of been the one that's taken the reins on everything mm-hmm. because, you know, I, somebody had to take care of things and that ended sure. up being my role mm-hmm. um, from everything from us getting married and figuring out how we were going to buy my engagement ring to buying our home to how we were going to afford IVF when we ended up getting pregnant with our twins. Mm -hmm. Um, Every big decision I feel like has been solely on my shoulders and safety for me is having somebody who will at least have those conversations, who will partner with me 
in the big decisions in life. And I know we'll call out what I don't see, sure. even though I don't want to, you know, there's times where I don't want to hear it. You know, I know I'm right and I want to be right. And I've <laughs> uh, all not, of us experienced that to some extent. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I'm not right all the time. Yeah. And somebody who just has my back to go, hmm, babe, I think that there's something you're not seeing here. That's safety to me. You know, calling out what he knows I don't want to hear, sure. what I don't want. But it's, at, I don't know, that our, our relationship will grow because of that. Mm-hmm. And that's safety to me. You know, I don't necessarily need somebody to, you know, financially provide for our family because I am lucky enough to have a great job and, you know, to be working full time and, I can do that for us sure. if, if needed, you know? Yeah. I don't need that. I just need somebody to help me through this. So that's not the concept of safety that you necessarily see as most important. No, I don't think it I, <clears> I, I mean, think it's it valuable, helps. it's it helpful. It is, yes, but it's, it's not value. like uh, that's not that's not the relevant piece. So then tell yeah. me this, uh, um, maybe the way to answer uh, a, a definition of what safe is is to say, to say what's unsafe then. What is it that Chad does? What is it that addicts do? And we'll personalize it, obviously, in this case, because of your marriage to Chad. But what is it that he does that makes you feel unsafe? Oh. <laughs> where to start? Yeah, where to start? It's it's hard. Right now, we are in such a place of recovery that I feel like that's a hard question to answer. I can tell you in the past, feeling unsafe was things like him going to work. Um, because I knew a lot of his acting out was you know, and Chad and I work for the same company. A lot of these people I knew. Mm-hmm. A lot of these people knew me. That made me feel unsafe. It made me feel unsafe at work. It made me feel unsafe around the people that I, you know, I would walk into the hospital that we work for and go, who knows our story? And how do I feel safe here? You know, and I have to put on this brave face sure. because people know <laughs> both of us. And that felt very unsafe. It felt very unsafe. Um, just with him having privacy, I know that sounds terrible, but you know, so much of this crazy making that wives do, I just, I had to know, I had to know everything. And I had to be, he was, I, I didn't allow you to have privacy because I was scared. I was scared that I would miss something. There's a lot there's a lot of trauma that I created for myself um, that you you may not even have been acting out at the time, but I was so paranoid, I was so scared about that, that I created so many stories for myself and I felt unsafe. I felt unsafe and I, you know, it just that lack of communication felt unsafe. Um, that's one thing I think I can point to in all of this is I can say to you, I am having a hard time with XYZ and you will address it. You will acknowledge it and you will you will talk to me about it. And I do feel safe when we have those conversations um, because you're willing to be raw with me and to acknowledge the things that are hard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this 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 topic of, of safety and unsafety is 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 a hard one for me. Um, because I think I'm still uncovering so much sure, of that. Being sure. so early, you know, in our recovery path. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and just as a, as a plug <clears throat> for you, like, I am so thankful for you and 
that you are being honest with me. Like, I know that you, <laughs> I know you're being honest because you're telling me the, the good, bad, and ugly. And there's a lot, a lot of that that has been really hard in our relationship. And you, you know, we've had so many years together, but you, you're doing it. And I'm, it's, it's a change from where we've been. And I can see that. And that makes me feel safe if anything, because I know that if something comes up, something hard, you know, just the other night, for example, uh, Chad had gotten a message from the daughter of somebody that he had dated back in the day that he'd acted out with. Um, this was before our relationship, but acting out nonetheless, probably. And he came to me, he brought it to me and he knew I was not going to want to hear that. He knew I was not going to be like, oh, that's great. How nice. <laughs> that was not my response at all. Sure. Um, sure. No, he, it was not. No, it was not. Uh, but he did it. And I, he, wa- you know, we had, we had a talk about it. And I, you know, I had just said, you know, I just, I feel like so much of your past has come back to bite me so many times that I think, well, I think her intentions were nice. Um, and in the right place, I think I'd rather you not respond to that. Mm-hmm. And he was okay with that for the first time. He didn't try to hide it from me. He, he brought it to me. That was huge. That is such a big thing. And I felt safe, even though I didn't love it, even though I didn't, you know, I couldn't control that this person had reached out to you. You still brought it to me. That was a big deal. That created trust. So I felt safe in that moment and I'm thankful for that opportunity, even though it was hard, but you did it. So I don't know if that answered your question. No, that's no, great. I think it was great. I think that's fantastic. What do you think? What do you think her, uh, what does the word safe mean to you when we talk about, uh, you know, some of your behavior? I mean, clearly a lot of your acting out behaviors created feelings of not feeling safe obviously or not feeling comfortable with what was happening yeah um as you <clears> talked <throat> about in some of the other podcasts of you spending or even just now talking about you spending time away and time alone uh and, and how that made her feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. what do you do now to what kind of things do you do now to make certain that she feels safe i think this question is answered both um by addressing first order change and second order change sure and um, so very on a very practical level, right? The first order change mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, having uh, very clear boundaries in place around some of the situations that I would create or put myself in where I could act out privately. Okay. And uh, uh, try to maintain this illusion in my life that I could get away with it indefinitely, right? Um so, you know, things like um, full transparency with technology. With, uh, my phone, she has full access to it. She can do anything she wants with it anytime she wants. I don't care. Right. 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 Um, Which is interesting because uh, I'm certain was what it was in your experience. My experience, Lisa, Lisa remembers the day when I would absolutely lose my lid if somebody touched my phone. Uh, because that was a it was a communication portal for yeah. for me. So yeah. and I'm assuming that's how it was for you. So now there, for her um, to have access to the phone was is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, oddly, my, my my personal phone certainly I would look at pornography on it, right? But for the most part, it wasn't it wasn't the main medium. I, this is again a very embarrassing thing for me to admit, but most of my acting out 
that was caught happened on like uh, my work email. Uh, I have a work cell phone that I would use to text mm-hmm. people or communicate with people, right? But mostly it was, you know, work email. I would find myself in situations with members of the opposite sex, and mm-hmm. we would start to flirt, and then, you know, we exchange emails and things like that. And a lot of that was going on. So, um, you know, interestingly, the number of times that I caught doing that, I, I was caught doing that, I, I continued to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and the first order of change that's happened there is, uh, a, I mean, accepting that I cannot get away with that, right? I, I just never could get away with that ever again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, being okay with her jumping in and looking at my work email anytime she wants. Like, as she mentioned earlier in the episode, we work for the same company. And so we know how the technology works in our workplace. It's not hard for her to get in and mm-hmm. look at the different communication See the activity that's going on. Yeah, platforms that we use at work. Well, that's even, even to that, like, I know how they monitor it. Mm-hmm. And there's been times where I've been nervous about, like, yeah. well, what if they catch this? Mm-hmm. Are you going to lose your job? And, you know, our life is based on us both working. And what are you going to do if that happens? And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's another level of being unsafe. And, true. you know, it's... Yeah. Again, I'm just thankful that you have allowed from that to be a portal where you're okay with me looking if if that that comes up. But yeah. as you've allowed me to be more transparent and more open with that, mm-hmm. you um I've wanted to look less and less because I know yeah, he's okay with it. Mm-hmm. Clearly has nothing that I need you know, I need to be worried about. Yeah. It's yeah. Big. The other thing is I a lot of my late night acting out happened because I was gaming. You know, I was mm-hmm. on a console playing video games, and I was doing it by myself, and I was sitting right next to a computer, and I would just get caught in the cycle of acting out for hours. And we established clear boundaries around that. Do I still game? Yeah, actually I do. Mm-hmm. I still game, uh, but it's with friends. Okay. <laughs> and we play the same game together, and there's a time limit, and mm-hmm. then I'm done. And it's mine. She does not monitor me. She doesn't come after me and and, and say, "Hey, it's it's mine to own." And sure, sure. So <clears throat> now that that that's something that we've kind of grown into. I mean, it's not something that from you know we just decided one day that's how it was going to be, and then it, it's been that way from that time forward. There was a period where I didn't game at all. There was a period mm-hmm. where I didn't touch the computer. There was a period, you know. I mean, there were things that we kind of had to. Um, uh, develop trust over, establish a track record, mm-hmm. you know, and then um, move forward from there as a couple. So the second order change piece, though, I, I said, you know, there's first order sure, change piece. Sure. The second order change piece kind of falls in line with that. And, it, and it's because the changes that you experience inside yourself as an addict as you progress along your recovery path, the changes to your belief system, those begin to have a much deeper impact. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. I think you're right spot on. Yeah. 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 And I mean, what I heard Amber saying really when she was talking earlier about what it requires for her to feel safe, open communication, mm-hmm. like real, actual open communication where I'm moving past this passive addict that is always planning, always trying to hide only offering enough information mm-hmm. to answer mm-hmm. the question, but not really answer the question. Right. Right. Yeah. right. <clears throat> and instead being very proactive about 
talking to her about what's going on with my emotional state maybe mm-hmm. or even you know like she used the example of uh, uh this person messaging me the other day being willing to go to her and say hey i'm just gonna let you know about this i know it's gonna upset you but that's okay we'll talk about it and uh for the first time in my life not shying away from those conversations that's fantastic. I've said all the way along that uh, <clears throat> oftentimes the, the the real struggle with all of this addiction is 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 facing the consequences of a conversation that we didn't necessarily want to have. Mm-hmm. Um, none of us, I think, are great communicators in terms of well, we we learned what got us through from when we started this whole thing at a young young age and and learned how to communicate with our parents, learned how to communicate with our siblings, learned how to communicate with friends. And oftentimes it was non-disclosure kind of stuff. Yeah. And so uh, to now deal with that later on in life and to have to address the fact that, wait, I'm about to have a conversation with somebody that I care about that uh, this is going to be painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amber, I know how you're going to respond to this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, hap- the, hap- the happy irony in this is that you spend a lifetime believing that your safe place is being just as passive as you want to be Mm -hmm. and only sharing what you're comfortable sharing. And and again, I'll I'll say the term again, the happy irony in it is that the opposite is true. Absolutely. That having the kind of relationship with somebody that you can tell them anything and have a conversation Mm -hmm. with them. I heard somebody say once, I thought it was such a wise thing. Like I, I, I loved this. Um, healthy conflict can only happen when candor is safe and a relationship is full of healthy conflict yeah. right mm-hmm. um but unless you trust each other enough to be candid and to to just really say the truth mm-hmm. honest open and complete truth right um you can never have that kind of healthy conflict and and grow your relationship in a way that is rewarding and fulfilling and meaningful and yeah. uh, the kind of lifelong relationship that you want to have yeah Great topic, great discussion. Tell me about uh, uh, so it's, when you hear him talk about first order changes, second order changes. I mean, you've got some exposure to that. You understand some of those concepts, and you're starting to see that after a year's worth of recovery, uh, him being on the recovery path. You've had some bumpy days. Uh, I've been part of some of those bumpy days, so <laughs> I know for a while that they've existed. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, but overall, the trend is upward. Uh, and that helps you feel safe, I assume. Is that true? It does, yeah, yeah. The fact that I can, I, again, it's just communication, like being able to speak our truth and have the other person acknowledge it and be okay with it not being okay, maybe. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. And, you know, he, again, you know, he brings these things to me and talks to me about them, and that's a change. He would hide that stuff from me, and I would usually find it on the back end and bring it to him and go, yeah. hi, you were hiding this. I would it, hide the stupidest stuff. Oh, it was, oh, yeah, yeah, the silliest things that I'm like, why? I don't even understand why he'd hide it. But, you know, he was he was fearful of my reaction, and here's the thing about it. I probably had big reactions to that because sure. it felt huge. Yeah. You know, because I didn't understand why. So there must be more than just, you know, the tiniest little thing. And are you finding your reactions softening some? Yes. Yes. I think so as you have these moments of honesty and, hey, look, this person texted me and, uh, uh, you know, I know you're not going to be happy about this. 
what's your reaction? I mean, you know, a year ago in the middle of all of this, it would have been a much crazier response, Mm -hmm. it sounds like. And that seems like that's softening some. Oh, for sure. You know, this particular example was more just, hey, this is your past coming back. And I've been bitten so many times from this. And I, this is triggering for me and I'm angry Mm. and you're going to hear about why I'm angry. But when, you know, we're in that conversation and I'm giving him the how-to about why I'm mad and why you did what you did. And he's going, you're right. And I went, okay, well, oh, okay, you get it. Yeah, I am right. And we're going to move on. So, you know. It, we are so right in this. Let's move on. Yeah, like there's no fight, you know. Yeah. It's not that fun to argue with somebody who's not going to argue with you. So. It's never fun for me either way. Yeah. Fair enough. But, you know, it, it takes the trauma out of the trauma a little <clears throat> bit, you know. Finally, he's understanding what I've been through in a different way. And it's, mm. you know, like I said before, I'm not looking for perfection. I'm just looking for effort. You know, I'm just looking for you to try to get where I'm coming from. Right. And so much of our recovery has been that. And he may not totally get it. He may not, he may not, you know, the other, <laughs> in that conversation, there was a couple of times where I went, uh, I don't feel like you're totally understanding what I'm saying, but he was trying. That was huge. Yeah, it's a big deal. So, I mean, like me, did you often find yourself, you know, even on the small things, like catastrophizing, like just seeing the worst possible outcome by from telling Amber what was c- coming up? Because I know for me, even the small, minute things, it was like it was going to be this huge, nasty, gnarly fight with who knows what. I always envisioned the worst. Was that the case for you or, or not? Um... Maybe not exactly that way, Daniel. I mean, I I think the best way for me to answer that would be to reflect back on um, part of our conversation, I think in the previous episode, Mm -hmm. where I was talking about the resentments that I had built up and the point at which very early in my recovery, I was aware of her level of crazy. Okay. (laughs) Trauma caused crazy, but I hadn't acknowledged that I had caused that, that Mm -hmm. I had traumatized her and that was her reaction to the trauma that I had caused her. And so definitely, um, you know, being fearful of, of her reaction, um, the belief that she was just going to rip me to shreds Mm -hmm. if I told her something, even the smallest thing, Yeah, which in, in, in full honesty was partially true maybe, you know, because she was, her trauma brain was on fire. And, yeah. and just this, the smallest thing, like she was just saying a few minutes ago, would have lit her up. And, um, you know, not her fault. But so it, it's kind of a weird, you know, vicious cycle yeah. that you find yourself in as an addict when, when you've hurt somebody that badly and they're expecting the worst all the time. Yeah. No, I, I like the answer. That was, that was perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, trauma. Kind of an interesting... So, so in my search circumstance, uh, Lisa was actually diagnosed with PTSD, and and what I found through that diagnosis is whether her mind was constantly on alert for any kind of danger, mm-hmm. and that translated into so many different places. Um, we would be driving down the road, and if she felt like I was too aggressive in my driving, she would put her hands on the dashboard and she would start bracing herself as though there's going to be an accident here. And uh, that used to just send me over the top. I would, uh, I would be so angry at something silly like that. Uh, but as I understand that now, and the and the trauma that I caused, 
that that she uh, that she felt she felt like she was in danger, mm-hmm. and that I and and that again that diagnosis that there's so many places where those would manifest themselves in some of the craziest places like that, uh, and of course I was just driving that's all i was doing and in many cases i was just driving the speed limit it wasn't even really excessive or aggressive driving at least in my mind mm-hmm. uh, and that might be a different conversation with her but uh, <laughs> but for whatever reason it made her feel unsafe and and so did you did you experience that have you experienced that <laughs> we're like, are we going to talk about how crappy a driver I yeah am? Because yeah that... so we're giggling at each other because i'm constantly going on chat about <laughs> terrible driving um Um, And I don't know what it is. You know, I actually think at one point, I don't know if you ever had this conversation, but we were, we've been in the car and I'm like, you need to talk to Mike about your driving because it's terrible. It's got to be linked to something. (laughs) Yeah, Mike's the right guy to talk to about that. Yeah, I'm I'm not the right person. Maybe you should talk to Lisa. (laughs) That is a, that was a very PTSD-esque kind of response that, uh, that she had, she'd experienced that. And I, Again, I, I saw it in so many different places. There were times that uh, I remember one time at a, we took my kids to play tennis. And my kids were tennis players, and I remember going up to one of the <coughs> facilities up here, and we I, and I had neglected to bring the tennis balls along. And uh, I walked over to um, every tennis coach has one of those big containers full of yeah. tennis balls, and the cage is locked. But but you know you know that if you just lift up the end of it, you could pull as many tennis balls out of it you want. Mm-hmm. And I did that. And, of course, my kids all think that's just funny as can be that Dad would steal the tennis balls from the tennis professional up at the at the club <laughs> and uh, that we'd play tennis with their tennis balls. And then, of course, I was thinking we'd put them back. But Lisa was furious at the fact that that all the rules never applied to me. That And that would just – and that was a – that was a – triggering kind of episode for her <laughs> to realize that I exploited just simple little things like that for fun. But you that, mean was that wasn't her. part of your membership dues? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was, but <laughs> yeah. did you experience some of those things? Has that been part of your experience as well? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, places probably more than anything, you know, when we drive by a particular part of town uh, where a few years ago, the last big acting out that happened with Chad and I, I had been contacted by a private investigator who not only provided me with uh, messages, but audio and photos wow. of his partner and him acting out at a particular spot. And it was very close to where we were working. And uh, frequently when we would take the girls home uh, to their mom's house, we drove by this place and I would plug my ears and close my eyes because I couldn't even stand the thought of being near this place. And um, it's, it's kind of a bummer because it's a place that I would love, you know, that I loved that it was a place that we shared together, even with the kids when they were young. Um, Chad's Chad's kids uh, when we were first dating and and right after we got married it was a place that we had taken them and Mm -hmm. I don't think I don't know if I can ever go back there Mm -hmm. and it's definitely when I think about that place or I see it come up on social media as Mm -hmm. a you know an event is happening at this particular place I I'm triggered it is a stress point for me and I become angry about why that's such a stressful thing for me um yeah, those those things are hard. There there are instances, you know, my eye doctor is in the same building as this particular individual worked 
and every time I have to go there, I hate it. And I walk by that office to go to the elevators to go up to my eye doctor, and it's triggering for me once a year. And I, I working at the hospital where we work, every time I walk by, you know, a clinic mm-hmm. that I know that he acted out with, you know, a particular individual that works there, it's triggering. You know, a lot of these people I work with. What do you do? What do you do? Um, um, what do you do to help yourself through those moments? You know, it's been interesting because COVID happened and I've been working from home. And so I don't really have to go. I haven't, since we've been in recovery, I haven't really, <clears throat> I haven't really been faced with a lot of that. Um, what I would do before we were in recovery is pretend like everything was okay. And I'd put a face on and it was okay. It had to be. And there was one particular individual that would come up and ask me, oh, how's Chad doing that he had acted out with? And I just was like, I could pull your hair right now, but I'm not going to. And I just, oh, he's great. And we're really happy. And thanks for asking. And, you know, he told me he, you, you had messaged him on Father's Day. Thanks for that. And, you know, try to give her that. Like, I know that you, I know what you're doing. You need to stop. Yeah. But without addressing it because we're in a workspace and I can't do that. But I don't know. I haven't really been faced with a ton of that. It's been, that'll be interesting when that really happens yeah. and how I'll handle it. We did have an agreement that, and, and I, I haven't been faced with this and who knows if I'll follow through, but I did tell him, you know, <laughs> if we're ever at a store or somewhere where somebody that he's acted out with, happens to be there and if they decide to approach us or if they you know we're getting the vibe that they Mm -hmm. acknowledge us like there's a part of me that wants to just go you know happy people don't do what you did and i i know what happened please just you know leave us alone and let's move on but i don't know if that's healthy or not like i don't know if that's a good a good place to be it'll be interesting to see if that happens. This is still in your future. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've so appreciated. Um, uh, it'd be great to have Gary here for some of the things and some of the advice that he received from our common counselor as they were traveling. You know, his advice was go make some new memories there. So we took yeah. his wife along and was able to do a variety of different things. Um, some of those things exist in my world. Uh, I, I know that as I drive around Salt Lake and I see places that I'd acted out and things like that. And and I took a page from Gary uh, where he carries around a little two pence and, and leave a leave a two pence there and, and then record that in his book. And then his mind immediately goes to, I wonder who found that two pence rather than being occupied by the memory of what actually occurred there. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that's a powerful, powerful thing. I, I, from my own experience, I made an attempt to visit 10 or 15 sites in the in, in the Salt Lake area that I that I'd acted out a lot at and to to do my own thing and uh, I'm amazed at how freeing that has been I'm amazed how mentally my mind goes then to the thing that I left there uh, in my case I folded a dollar bill into the shape of a ring and I put a note in the ring that said you know <clears throat> that I'd acted out there and that the hope then was is that this 
leaving this dollar and this note would then free my mind from the experiences of what I remember there. And uh, that has proven to be incredibly helpful for me. So as you contemplate, obviously, you know, there's going to be some things that are going to happen at some point in time for each of you, you know, that will give you an opportunity to say, I'm ready to put this to bed. And I hope that happens. Uh, I hope that happens for my wife, Lisa. I know there were moments that we would be driving down State Street to go to a place to eat. And as she was looking at everything along State Street in Salt Lake and thinking of all the things that I had done in my acting out experience and how that was causing her trauma, that sometimes even just going into a restaurant causes her trauma because of some of the things that I've shared. So my hope at some point in time is, is that <clears throat> for Lisa and for Amber and for anybody else who's experienced this, that, that, that somehow, some way they get to put that behind them because a constant reminder of, of the things that I've done is no way to live a life. <clears throat> so Yeah, I think when we're ready, in our own way, we'll probably come up with something, something unique to us that we can do, you know, something similar. I will tell you that there is some fear around that for me. I'm, I don't know that I'm far enough in our journey together sure. to be able to say, oh, that sounds like a great plan. I love the idea of it. I don't think I'm there. Um, mm. But at some point, I would love for that to be part of our journey and to be right. kind of, you know, a special thing that we share together mm. in this ugly thing that, you know, has has happened in our relationship that we can make it beautiful. That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. I, I just want to add, too, that as inspiring as it is to hear stories like yours, Mike, and Gary's, and the things that you do to help put those things to bed, so to speak, and to find some some reconciliation right yeah um <clears throat> i think it's very important for me and for other addicts that might be at the same stage that amber and i are at to accept where their spouse is with it right yeah and absolutely. to not try to push them past where they are i couldn't and agree more yeah couldn't agree more I, I look forward to it too like yeah. I, I can't wait until we're able to do something like that and really find what's meaningful for us but um, That'll be the next. But it's you. It's but it's, it's yeah. It's, it's you too. It's in the future. Yeah. So interesting. What a great discussion. I appreciate yes. uh, your thoughts, your insights, uh, and and appreciate you being part of our podcast. I think we've run out of time. We have. Daniel is the time is the buzzkill of. of all <laughs> I'm <fun>. sorry. <laughs> Technically, it's Shane. I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna place the blame on Shane because he said anytime we go over a certain limit, we just lose it all. Thanks for having us. Being yeah. able to talk about this is yeah. Just kidding. I'm not blaming on Shane because then we're gonna have a long conversation. <laughs> it's my fault. Thank you for being part of it. I appreciate uh, appreciate your thoughts and insights and your perspective. Uh, I know that this is sort of early in your recovery uh a year is is you know but the fact that you've you've tackled uh you know a first step and are sort of moving down the path now doing step work um amber has been a part of a wives group and is is working with other women and trying to help you know help others resolve some of their concern and issue and that's a big deal so uh, you're 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 a, a long ways down a, a long, long road. And that, that's phenomenal to be so. And it's clear that it's adding some stability and some peace in your life. I mean, at least I can say that from my perspective because I think I've been 
in the journey with you at least for the last year to some extent and it's been uh, it's been interesting to see how that sort of mellowed out a lot and hopefully this will be inspiring to other couples you know to see that yeah even though it's been hard it's, it hasn't been easy it's still worth it and you guys are still yeah. you know plugging away day by day to make things work and better and be a, a health be in a healthy relationship that, it's possible you know, and the fact that, you know, you're not striving for perfection because that doesn't exist. You're just striving for, you know, the best you you can be and having this wonderful relationship in the process. Yeah, that's fantastic. So that's it. Uh, let's, uh, with that, I'll say uh, do the work necessary to find the peace that recovery can bring. And I'll say find the humility in your recovery. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or concerns, or have any suggestions for future episodes, please contact us at 12thsteppodcast at gmail.com. That is 1-2-T-H-STEPPODCAST at gmail.com. As a fellowship of recovering addicts, Sex Addicts Anonymous offers a message of hope to anyone who suffers from sex addiction. Check out saa-recovery.org.